This episode is brought to you by Needham Woodworks, the finest Euro rack cases in the world. Handcrafted, no one is like the last. Go to NeedhamWoodworks.com to learn more. That's N-E-E-D-H-A-M Woodworks.com. Hello and welcome back to Podular Modcast. My name's Tim Held and I'll be your guide through this rambly intro, demo, and then conversation with guest Jay Money, aka Juliana Furioso. Now you all may be wondering why I'm talking like this. I'm wondering myself. There's something about this sweet smooth jam from Lisa Belladonna that makes me want to talk like a smooth jazz radio DJ, so I'm just going to stick with it for a little bit. I first met Juliana when we played a show together about a year and a half ago here in Seattle, and I was blown away by their performance. Guitars, pedals, loops, ambience, vocals, excellent show. I then bought their album, their self-titled album, off of Bandcamp and was listening to it and was just blown away by the production, so I had to look at the production credits. Mixed and Mastered by Jay Moneyfur. Now, they're not a modular artist so much. They, they mess around with modular bits, but it's mostly pedals, and they're on tour right now, and they're just doing kind of a, a sample-based ambient thing, and, and we talk about the format of their show, and it's a really cool idea, um, so I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. An excellent patch challenge, by the way, at the end. A, a fun new way to do it. It was cool. Um, Juliana set up their stuff in the living room. And I got a private show from one of my favorite artists. And it just really made me think uh, I would love to do a little tour. I would love to do like a house show tour. It's kind of my, it's actually my dream. Ever since I saw that David Bazan from Pedro the Lion was doing it like, I don't know, it was like eight years ago or something. He he was doing these living room show tours. And I was like, that would be so much fun. I feel like that would be better than doing rock clubs. I, I, would, I know I would enjoy it way more. So if you want to fly me out to wherever you live and, uh, and have me come play a show in your living room, maybe do like a live podcast, I don't know. Um, maybe someday. That someday could come quicker, though, if you go to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast and help support the show. I recently broke 100 subscribers. That's amazing to me. Um, one of the, the recent, my most recent subscriber, Matthew Corsmo. I got to give him a shout out. $15 a month pledge to the show. That, that blows my mind. Thank you again, Matthew. Um, so some of the, the tiers on Patreon, they go from a dollar all the way up to as much as you want. Um, some of them are just becoming a cool kid. Um, some of them are just because you like the show. Some of them are shout outs and I've got a shout out to do Nick Martin. Thank you so much for your support. Um, and I also want to shout out to Nick's son, Lou, Louie, four months old, can't understand language, but loves a good filter sweep. Way to go. Another tier is uh, early episodes. So I'm recording this on Wednesday. Uh, in a couple hours, the people who signed up for that tier will have this episode. If you're not part of that tier, you're listening to this on Monday. Um, and then finally, I'll tell you about the what I call the patchtogram. This is where you send me adjectives and nouns, 
and I'll do a patch challenge based off of them. I'll record a performance of it, and then I'll send you the WAV file, and then I'll also do a video and tag you on Instagram. So Bryce Poole, thank you so much. He submitted Ephemeral Spaceship, and that's what you hear fading up behind me right now. I'm just going to play a little snippet of it. Um, I'm using Angle Grinder, Chainsaw, Dirty Murals, Chrono Blob 2, Two Distings, Maths, Clouds, Pura Ruina, Tip Top 1, and the Dreadful Filter from Tom Evans. Speaking of patch challenges, would it be cool if I did like a weekly live stream of the patch challenge from the from the episode, from the week's episode? Um, I got to say, I didn't get this idea myself. I got it from Trevor Clark, a.k.a. This Digital Landscape. Got to give him a shout out. He did a live stream yesterday on his Instagram uh, of him doing the patch challenge from the Acid Rain Technology episode. And it was really cool. It was awesome to get to get on there and, and see him walk us through his, his thought process and, and see the finished product. It was a really cool patch. And he's planning on doing it weekly. So I invite everybody. I've been, I mean, I tell you guys this. Uh, I don't think I tell you guys often enough. I, I want to just keep reminding you that I want you all to do the patch challenge. Um, you don't have to do it publicly. You can send it to me privately or you could just do it privately. But uh, I'd prefer to see people, uh, you know, doing the patch challenge and, and I, I hate using this terminology, but use, use the uh, hashtag PodMod patch challenge. That way everybody can search it and it can all be kind of aggregated in one area. I just think it'd be a really cool way for us all to interact with, uh, with what's going on. And also if you do one, send it to the guest who, who did it on the show. Uh, they'd probably love to hear that. I'm rambling a lot right now, but uh, I'm having fun. You know, this is actually my favorite part of editing the podcast, and it's kind of like my weekly artistic expression is doing these ramblings in the intro. Um, do, you, do you listen to the intros? Do you enjoy the intros? I don't know. Call me. We'll talk about it. Um, this song that you hear fading up behind me right now is by Ian Body and Nigel Mullaney. It's off the Schemes and Ruses album. It's called Showdown, and I actually played it on last week's bonus episode where I um, curated a mix of new music for y'all, so I hope you uh, listen to that. I want to tell you about ModBang glow-in-the-dark cables. I have replaced uh, all my patch cables with these lately, and um, I love it. It's so cool to have like a dark room with my blinking uh, synthesizer with these these glowing cables like nested atop it. It just it just is visually appealing. Um, and they also do uh, these these Eurorack dust covers, or I I kind of think of them as a rain fly. <laughs> for your 6 or 7U um, modular system. Um, it's it's like this nylon stuff. They're made out of... Uh, it's waterproof. Let me, just, let me just actually do the read here. Handmade sport dust covers for 6, 7U, 104HP modular synthesizers. Carefully crafted from highly durable and water-resistant rip-stop nylon. Designed with the great outdoors in mind. So... Think of all those times you had to wrap your 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 uh, your synth in like a sweatshirt um, between the the car and the uh, the venue. Now, the, now, what if you're saying, well, okay, my my six or seven UKs has a lid? Well, that's fine. 
put the rain fly over the lid what if it's pouring down rain what if you couldn't find parking and you have to walk three blocks are you going to bring that that precious case out into the rain for two blocks you're not going to without a mod bang uh rain fly I know it's not technically a rain fly, but that's how I think of it. It's got this like little zip zip cord at the bottom so you can get it nice and tight so the wind won't blow it off. So yeah, go to modbang.com to learn more about all of the stuff that I just talked about. Also, shout out to Patchworks, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Love this synth shop. Love the community that has bubbled out of it. And speaking of that community, last night uh, it was the Orchid release party at the Timbre Room here in Seattle. Uh, Orchid is Tom Butcher, who is a past guest um, and the co-founder, co-owner of Patchworks. So it was really cool to see. It was it was so cool to see the scene really show up on a Wednesday night. So yeah, shout out to Tom and Patchworks. One more thing, please check out the recent episode of Data Cult Audio Podcast. I uh, I am the guest there where I just submitted a mix of uh, some recent uh, patches that I've built. Um, and a lot of other great artists have been on that show. So please check out Data Cult Audio Podcast. Let's get into a demo really quick and then this episode. Hey, I have a question for you. How do you go from this... To this. Well, I'll tell you, you do that by using the Pura Ruina from Noise Engineering. So that first thing that I opened up with was just the output from Telharmonic going into uh, the mixer. No effects, no VCA, nothing. So I took the the output from Telharmonic and put it into the Pura Ruina. And now I'm going to use the individual outputs uh, to build into that crazy thing that you heard. Um, so here is output one. This is uh, being controlled by Schlappy Engineering uh, Angle Grinder LFO. So it's basically just turning the, uh, the channel on and off and uh, running that into some hall reverb. Cool. And then I've got the two output running into a monsoon, which is a clouds clone, and I'm just using it for the reverb. And I'm using a, a maths, a funky maths envelope to open it up. Ooh, that's fun. And now output four is going into uh, a dreadful filter from Tom Evans modular, and then out into um, the disting tape delay, and then I've got some funky modulation going on that guy. Um, and then I'm controlling the, the distortion on the Pira Ruina from Maths. So let's see what that sounds like. And then finally, I have the channel 8 running out into the Chronoblob 2, which is also being controlled by an envelope, the distortion is, and then um, I've got an envelope controlling the delay time. So let's see what that sounds like. And now let's bring them all together. So output 1. Output 2. 
Output 4. And output 8. Please go to noiseengineering.us to learn more about the Pura Ruina distortion. There we go. Woo! That's working. We're moving. Okay. See the numbers. So, <laughs> J Money Fur or Juliana Furioso. Furioso, Furioso. Um, we just talked for like 15 minutes about, about name pronunciation. pronunciation. <laughs> uh, so I say Juliana Furioso okay. for my name, but uh, I, I'll accept Furioso. Okay. Yeah. It's hard not to say because you just think fury. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I've got some stuff written down here. I usually don't like to like do like interviewee style, like just chat. So cool. I want to start with childhood. When did music find you? How did it find you? Oh. When did yeah. you know you were a musician? Mm -hmm. And then how did you find your way into the crazy world of ambient pedals <laughs> and all the other, actually you're like a multimedia artist. So yeah. just that whole progression. Oh man. Okay. We're going, <laughs> we're going back. Um, so I did play piano as a child. Um, I hated practicing though, cause mm -hmm. I was playing other people's songs and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not my favorite. Um, yeah. So I played piano as a kid. I started and quit a bunch of times cause I didn't want to practice yeah. and my mom didn't want to pay for lessons if I didn't practice. And then I came, I came back into the world of music in college. Um, I, uh, I studied gamelan music, which oh. is like Indonesian mm -hmm. percussive ensemble. Um, I studied at Evergreen and, um, and then I went to Indonesia and studied with a teacher there oh. as well. Are you from Washington? Um, I'm actually from Washington, DC. Oh, so the okay. other Washington, uh, <laughs> I just came about as far away from there as yeah. I could, um, for, for Evergreen college. specifically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. So I played gamelan in college and that was, um, I took to it really quickly because I never had learned to read Western music notation and mm -hmm. it's a number system. So it was like, to me, super intuitive. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there was something so special about it because it's an ensemble. So you always play with other people and there's lots of like interlocking patterns and you just feel a part of it mm -hmm. and you're listening and playing at the same time in this really intense way that I think, um, helped me a lot when I started, um, doing more improvisation. Okay. Um, because I'm good at listening to uh -huh. like the different parts. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, so after that, I always, um, I always surrounded myself. All of my friends were musicians and artists. Um, and then I started playing the ukulele. That was my first stringed instrument. Okay. Um, when I was living in Austin, I got my first ukulele and started playing like kind of bedroom pop like uh -huh. folk songs uh -huh. <laughs> on the ukulele. Uh -huh. so, wait, would, would this have been about late 2010s? Yeah, so 2000, yeah, probably 2010 was the year I moved to Austin. It might have been 2010, I feel like that's when everybody got a ukulele. I mean, yeah, my friend had one and she was like, I can teach you five chords. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need to uh -huh. know. And I was like, great, let's do it. Um, yeah, and then I like, I did a couple little like mini tours with the ukulele and got into like, just got comfortable performing, I okay. think for the first time as a solo artist doing that, which was sort of the rawest type of expression in, in my 
mind now. Like, yeah. That was the hardest thing to sing and play in front of people. In well, that especially way. something like that. You're, I mean, no effects. No effects. Yeah. yeah that's the thing. Raw. <laughs> just raw, like some chords and my voice and words. And um, yeah. And then eventually I, let's see, before I really got into playing guitar, um, I got a loop pedal when okay. I moved to Baltimore. And um, I, you know, it's it's a it's a weird thing to think about why and when things happen, but I had some really wild um, n- s- sounds that came into my bedroom from my neighbors and from the street uh-huh. in the first place I lived there, and I got a loop pedal not because of that, but in context of having a lot of wild sounds that I didn't really want to be hearing, I would put my headphones on and mess around with my loop pedal and my voice and just started creating ethereal like. Uh, vocalscapes um and um and immediately fell in love with like looping and and vocal stuff okay at that point i'm curious with so with stuff like this i'm always it's always like a question of did you start listening to music that was a little bit more ambient ambient and loop based after this or did you listen to this and then start to want to make stuff like that so that's a great question i um i have almost never listened to the type of music that I make until after (laughs) I make it. Um, Because what happens is I, so my general like MO in, in my life is I listen to music that I know people like Uh I know musicians and then they, you know, I play a show with them. They give me their tape. Um, That's like been since, since college, I went to a lot of house shows in Olympia and um just like met a lot of incredible musicians and so i basically like just listen to my friends music like i barely listen to pop <laughs> popular music in general uh-huh, yeah um and in in any genre i'm saying popular just like in terms of well known right right um so yeah usually what happens is i would start playing a show doing a particular thing and then um I, at a show someone would come up to me afterwards and be like hey have you heard of grouper or have you heard uh-huh. of this yeah, thing yeah. you might like it and then i'm like oh no i haven't let me check it out and then yeah. i'm like oh yeah i do like that yeah, yeah. yeah but so it's always after the fact yeah yeah i'm kind of i'm a little similar i don't i listen to i probably listen to more modular music now since i started doing the podcast because mm-hmm. i have people coming on mm-hmm. um so i listen you know and people send me stuff a lot yeah but in my car you know i'm, I'm rarely listening to stuff that sounds anything like what i make yeah you know i listen to uh, I still listen just like a lot of like singer songwriter mm-hmm, stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. Bill Callahan. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's, but I also kind of purposely do that because I'm so easily influenced. Right. If, if I hang out with somebody and they mm-hmm. start saying hella, if mm-hmm, they say hella around mm-hmm. me, then I Your will hella adapts. start yeah. saying hella. <laughs> totally. So if I'm listening to yeah. the music, um, it's, I, I just, I'm, it's kind of like comedians not wanting to watch other comedians. Sets. Oh, I can, compl- I can completely relate. I, um, I I recently met someone like in the last year um, who listened to a lot of pop music and w- like wanted me to listen to stuff all the time. And I was like, I actually don't like, it's not that the music is bad. I just don't like having other people's things stuck in my head because it <laughs> makes it really hard for me to think yeah. like about my own stuff. Uh-huh. Like I kind of like having a clear palette to start from uh-huh. where I can just like create from my brain and not from something that I'm that's like unconsciously like stuck there. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back a little bit because just, just from everything you've said so far in less than 10 minutes, you've mentioned many cities, two coasts. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
So Washington D.C. to Evergreen College. Mm-hmm. Were you there like K Records heyday or a little after? Um, uh, yeah, I was there between 2005 and 2009. Okay, that was um, like a great time to be in Olympia. Yeah, it was a wonderful time to be in Olympia. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever see Mount Erie or Microphones live? Um, I didn't. I didn't see either oh. of them. Yeah, but I, I went to a lot of house shows, as I said. So mm-hmm. I met a lot of incredible musicians that I still that still are out performing now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was a. Re- I think it was a really special time to be there. Yeah, I don't. I've, I haven't spent any time there. I, I really would like to. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know what's going on there now. If you're mm-hmm. in Olympia and there's a cool scene, get at me because I would. I, every time I drive through, it's it's. It's one of those, it's too, It's just far enough away from Seattle to where I don't spend a lot of time there. And if yeah. I'm driving through, it's usually on the way to nature or Portland. On the way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of, every time I'm driving through there, I'm like, I want to stop here sometime and like spend some time here. Yeah. It's a pretty special place. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. to Evergreen. Mm-hmm. Evergreen is, I think you're probably the sixth guest I've had that's that's gone to Evergreen. <laughs> <laughs> um, very, yeah. very... Um, is it a liberal arts school? Is that how it's described? I would describe it as a liberal, liberal arts school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no requirements. There's no grades. Um, there's pretty much no tests unless you're doing the sciences there. And so you basically just, you know, you have to do your work to get credit. So mm-hmm. if you don't show up, you 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 won't pass, quote right. unquote. Like you won't get the credit. So you have mm-hmm. to keep taking classes. But um you, instead of getting graded, you get a written evaluation, which to me m- meant so much more than a letter grade ever had. I think had. it's more meaningful, yeah. And I worked harder than I ever had before because I was really, you, because there are no requirements, I was only taking classes that I was immensely interested in. Right, right. So yeah, my first year, I was telling you earlier, I studied Asian culture and arts. That's where I studied gamelan music mm-hmm. and also the language. And so it was kind of like, it felt more like grad school where you're going really deep into a subject. And I took basically one full-time class for my whole first year, like one class for the whole time. And it was like 40 credits or whatever, you know, like I think people scoff when they hear the no grades thing. They're mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, that's just so hippy dippy. But like, I feel like, like you said, a a written evaluation is so it's what's the, like, okay, you've got this percentage of this amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. You could, I feel like letter grades and, and just kind of the traditional schooling system just basically shows how well can you cram and then recall the information. Right, and what it doesn't show is, did you enter this course already having the knowledge and did you apply yourself at all? Because mm-hmm. like you could have just, maybe you took this class before in high school or whatever and you yeah. just like already knew everything and you didn't try at all. Yeah, and, I took three jogging classes right. in, in community <laughs> college. I was really good at jogging by the third one. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So uh, I was in Olympia and then I um, I briefly moved to Portland in 2009, uh, right after the recession, which is a great time to graduate college and look for a job (laughs) in Portland (laughs) specifically. Um, I didn't last long. I moved back to the East Coast um, for about a year and then I moved to Austin. Okay. Um, and then I was in Austin also during a really great time, uh, between 2010 and 2015. Um, and, uh, Is I that back before like South by was unmanageable, like you um, could maybe go and have fun. Yeah, it was still good. So actually that's like how I decided to move to Austin. I'd been down to South by a couple times mm-hmm. and it was like, there was, I had never experienced anything like it. There was, I mean, I only went to the unofficial shows. I, mm-hmm. I didn't ever have a pass or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt, I was like, this is a really magical thing. Once I moved there, it very quickly was like the bane of my existence. Really? I hated yeah. <laughs> but, 
but um but yeah as a as a as someone coming into town i was like oh this is i could just tell there was something there i was there for two nights and Mm -hmm. it was uh it was the week before the music side started Mm -hmm. the film side and um i just i absolutely just fell in love with austin i I still think about it i want to go back but i'm almost wondering like how much of how much of it was like the the time I was there, the mm-hmm. people I was with, I was, it's weird. You know, when you're like just getting into a new artist that you really like yeah. and you're in an unfamiliar place, like those things yeah. are like become interlocked and like totally. both of those things become, so I don't know. I mean, I mean, Austin obviously is cool, but I don't yeah. know if I went back, would I be? Totally. I don't know if I want to soil it or something. I think I went 2009, 2010 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I saw like Grimes play before they were like big uh-huh. and yeah. I was just like this is amazing uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah and then um I when I was living in Austin I I started an art space there so I was I uh, co-founded a space called the Museum of Human Achievement and that was kind of my life for two years okay um, was running that space and I ran it with one other person Zach Traeger who still runs it now I feel like I've heard that name yeah it's been around so yeah. we started 2011 uh or 2012 okay I'm a little okay yeah and then I ran it for two years and then decided to apply to grad school and you know moved on from Austin so but, where'd you go to grad school so I went to Micah, the Maryland Institute College of Art in okay. Baltimore, okay. Maryland. And that's why I was in Baltimore. Austin to ba- Baltimore. That seems like mm-hmm. quite a, a change in scenery. Yeah, it was. I mean, so it was familiar because I was from the East Coast. Um, although Baltimore is super different from D.C. where mm. I grew up. Um, and I was I thought it was it was definitely more my speed than D.C. It might have been a little slower speed than Austin. Mm-hmm. Um which took some adjustment, but I was in grad school. So that was most of what I was doing was just like making work. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Well, is that where like I had, I went through your, your website and there's a few things that like really stuck out. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, so like I, I saw there's some videos and they looked like they were in the same space. Like the, the, there was one where you were moving around and controlling sound by your, the movement, like where you were moving would like trigger samples or something. Was that what that was? Um, oh, like the piano. Yeah, piece? that was so. That was a. Uh, I had a solo show in Baltimore. That was okay. yeah. That was like I was in like a hallway. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which that piece was perfect for because it was motion activated. So when you when it when no one was in front of it, mm-hmm. it didn't make any sound. And when you walked past it, it would play some notes, and it, and then people would you know, look back, see what it was, uh-huh. come, come to it and basically like dance around in front of it uh-huh. to control the sound, <laughs> which was great. And people came, would, I mean, I didn't witness a lot of people directly mm-hmm. interacting with it, but people found me later and were like, Oh, I had such a great time playing this piece. And that piece was, um, basically like me trying to make music accessible to people that might be, um, intimidated by a keyboard or okay. intimidated okay. by an instrument that uh-huh. they're unfamiliar with, but just to be able to use motion to manipulate sound, even like if you don't know exactly how you're controlling it. So I I bring that up because I see you've done a lot of like installation type stuff where Uh it's like, it's, it's not necessarily, it's, it's not a traditional live performance and Uh you use a lot of groups. So did that kind of stuff start at the space? Like when did you get into that headspace and Mm. and where did that come from? Because you're studying percussive stuff Uh in college, undergrad. Uh Well, yeah. So my first year in college, I studied gamelan and then, 
Um, I also, I, I would say at Evergreen overall, I, I did cultural studies, visual and performing arts. Um, so kind of the gamut, but I, I did, uh, took an experimental puppetry class at Evergreen uh -huh. and that was when I started doing interactive performance art. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's like that, that planted a seed in my brain. And so when I started doing other performance art stuff, not even specifically sound related, um, I really liked involving the audience. Okay in my work. So that, that's where that started. Okay. Yeah. And then, so did you, f I guess, sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, okay. but there's just like, I'm, I want to piece this all together. Yeah. Um, so, so grad school, what was, what was the focus there? Mm, okay. So I was in a sculpture MFA. Okay. Um, and I was studying primarily sound and interactive art. In sculpture. In, yeah. So um, at, I would say most art schools, the sculpture department is like the most fluid. Like that's okay. where, you know, maybe sound artists would be or installation artists or, um, performance artists could, could exist in that space. Um, as well as like wood and metal, like more traditional three-dimensional okay. object makers. Um, the school that I went to in particular, um, the sculpture department was more traditional and there was uh, less performance and sound, uh, when I got there. Uh -huh. Um, and there were other departments that maybe were, would have been more appropriate for me or like I would have had, had to fight less for what I was doing, mm -hmm. but I think it made me a stronger artist to have to be like, this is legitimate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is art. Uh, so, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I, I found, um, I found my people in the interactive arts department. I taught in that department a bunch oh, cool. in the sound art department as well. Okay. Um, and that was, that was, um, it wasn't part of the graduate school as part of the undergraduate school, but I taught and, and simultaneously taught and learned in that department. Okay. Yeah. And then did you come from there to Portland and that's where you're at now? Is yeah. That, was that, okay. Mm -hmm. So right. I stayed one more year in Baltimore after I finished with grad school. I taught at the university there and then realized that there were some things that I wanted in a city that Baltimore wasn't able to provide. Yeah. 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 Um, so were you, I think, were you living in Baltimore when we played mm -hmm. in Hollow Earth? I just looked up the date. It was May 12th. 2018. Yeah, I did a West Coast tour with Lucy and Lucille um, summer 2018. Mm -hmm. um, I did a West Coast tour that summer and an East Coast tour um, solo um, that same year. Okay. Yeah. When I was on that bill, I forget, I don't know, I think somebody may have dropped off and somebody from Hollow Earth added me because I didn't know any of you guys okay. at all. Yeah. And um, I showed up and they had me playing last. And then after everybody played, I was like, I don't want to play after any, <laughs> any of these people. Cause like, okay. So Abby Blackwell did like a solo cello oh, piece, yeah. which was amazing. And uh -huh. then I would, you did, I think you were second. I don't, I don't remember, remember, but yeah. then you did your thing with guitars and pedals. And I was, and I was just like, what? And then <laughs> Lucy and Lucille were so good. And, yeah. um, yeah. did you know Giselle from Evergreen? So I actually didn't know Giselle before that tour. I okay. knew Emily from Olympia from oh, Evergreen. Okay, and okay. then um, Emily also lived in Austin at the same okay. time as me. So I, I got to know Emily better in Austin. Okay. And then um, she moved to Chicago right before I moved to Baltimore, right around the same time. And then I was just like, I want to go on tour with another project. And she was about to start a sound art, like grad program. And I had just, I was partway through mine okay. and, or maybe had just finished mine. Okay. And, um, and so I was, I was doing things that were 
extra interesting to her. And so she agreed to okay, go on cool. tour with me. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That show would like, that was such a fun show. Um, and then, uh, so after that, I, I stayed in contact with Giselle who plays Bukla, mm-hmm. um, does really cool stuff. And we played a, we played a show not too long ago, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I've mentioned her on the show. So, so the listener, you you can kind of keep track of what we're talking about. But. Yeah, Giselle Garcia. <laughs> uh, what is her project name again? Oh, um, Tilo Tilo. Oh yeah, Tello Tello. Yeah, but she's an awesome follow on Instagram because she's always posting really cool Bukla pieces. Yeah. What is she on Instagram? We just totally sidebar here. It might just be Giselle Garcia. I think maybe it is. I don't know. She does her aerial stuff yeah. and then Bukla yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So you get to Portland. Mm-hmm. Sorry for that sidebar. That's okay. Um, I feel like I wanted to talk more about that Hollow Earth show. I just remember just being totally floored by everybody playing. Yeah. And, uh, and then, okay. So actually this is how we'll do this. Yeah. Um, after that, I, I got your record mm-hmm. on Bandcamp, uh-huh. a self-titled one. Yeah. And I remember when I get a new record, I like to just pop, pop on the headphones like before I go to bed. Cause I don't, I don't fall asleep right away and I just like to listen in headphones. And I remember like stopping after like three or four songs and being like, this is mixed so well. (laughs) It's It just sounds so good. I was like, I want to see if they mixed it themselves and I want to see where they got it mastered because I, I want (laughs) to find out where I could get my thing mastered and you did all of it. I did. And it's, and it sounds so good. Oh, thank Um, you. Yeah. And so I was curious, did you, are you self-taught with mixing and mastering? Yeah. Yeah. So I took, like I said, I took, okay, I took one sound art class Mm -hmm. at Micah and then I was hooked. I learned, you know, basically the professor, Eric Spangler, the class that I took, um, just did a bunch of like really kind of basic intros to Ableton, to Audio Mulch, to like a couple different um, softwares. And I just like, I, I liked I liked all of them, but I, I ended up using Ableton the most in my live mm-hmm. performances. And that's what I also used to, to mix and master in. Okay. And um, I started doing electronic music performance just um, in Ableton, basically with like an empty set. Like I would just create everything inside of inside of the performance, and so I think I got really good at mixing because I was sense. I was yeah, just mixing like live time. all yeah. of the time for every performance, and then um, yeah, I taught and assisted with other um, like intro sound classes, and and so just got a bunch of sort of refreshers on stuff and okay. and le- learned through teaching, um, but yeah, I'm I I would say like in terms of like no one ever was like this is how you right. mix an album i was just like this sounds good to me well you're it's yeah. interesting that you said that you were like creating the live set and kind of you know like creating the sound as you were performing mm-hmm. and then mixing it i feel like if you got a good ear for mixing live especially and you're playing in different types of rooms mm-hmm. different size rooms yeah. and if you're kind of creating it from scratch every time mm-hmm. you're dealing with probably the full everything like all frequencies like Mm -hmm. so i could see how that would be a really good baptism by fire when you get into the box and be like oh this yeah you could probably yeah um so eqing then i want to ask you yeah are you do you only cut or do you ever boost Oh, um, I do both. You do both. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I find myself, I I rarely boost anything. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I'm always cutting in the same spot, but it's, okay. I feel like it's kind of, it works, but yeah, I'm always curious to, to pick somebody else's mind about like, cause I, I feel like there, there are some people who are like never boost. Oh, sure. Then, I think I, I'm pretty free form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually just then this past year got a sub in my studio and now I, I mean, cause I really love working with low frequencies mm-hmm. and now I can really hear them better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I would say for a long time, like I was always trying to put more more lows in there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know I, I, once i move out of an apartment i want to get uh some eight inch studio monitors mm-hmm. just so i can yeah yeah because you can never really tell and yeah. then you put on headphones and you're like oh i boosted that too much or mm-hmm. oh this mm-hmm. is kind of flat yeah um okay so portland let's see where are we going mm-hmm. actually I'll, before we before we get to that i there was one particular thing that you did in Baltimore, which yeah. is the change of course oh, yeah, um, installation. Mm-hmm. That looked really cool. Yeah. Can you outline that for the listener? Totally. So um, I did a couple things associated with that show. Um, so Cardinal Space reached out to me and um, convinced me to come back to Baltimore after I moved to Portland mm-hmm. um, for this show. And it was great. I was um, thrilled to do it because it was like you know, for me, I think in my career, one of the first times I didn't apply for something, someone just asked me mm-hmm. to do it. Um, and so I was, <laughs> I felt good. like a nice compliment. <laughs> yeah. We will fly you out if oh. we can convince you to oh, come. I haven't to got thing. a we will fly yeah, you out yet. I'm was, waiting. If you're listening and you want to fly me out. <laughs> I was like, yes, I will get on a plane. Um, so yeah, I, um, I did a sound installation for the show and then I also, um, organized, uh, an interactive sound walk, which is the piece you're referring to. Um, so I've done a lot of interactive pieces for performance. Um, this one was a little bit different than one I had done before because I was thinking specifically about this show and the physical place, um, that it was in. So I had the participants, um, uh, basically, take a take a notepad and do uh like I gave them a uh like a binder ahead, mm-hmm. or a clipboard that's the word ahead of time and um had them basically note um sounds of interest to them like whether whether they were sounds that made them slow down or speed up or turn or change change their course mm-hmm. um of their walk basically being guided by the sounds um on their derives so based on the uh, situationist concept of the derive, which is like a meandering walk with no specific end point um, or uh, goal in mm-hmm. mind other than to like witness and um, be present in mm-hmm. the place. Yeah. And so it was really like an opportunity. What the feedback I got from the participants was that that's not how they usually walk around. Uh-huh. And there's usually <laughs> motivated by different things like, hunger or needing to use the bathroom or whatever to Uh determine where they went and um was just like a really um like pleasant experience to be able to walk around with with only thinking about their soundscape and not not thinking about too many other things um and then we did like an association reading um of the sounds afterwards so in the gallery um we had we went around in a circle was a pretty pretty decent sized group of people. So it took a while and we read out sounds like sort of in order of when they happened. And then if anyone else had 
uh, a very similar sound written down. They would echo it. And so, oh. it, so it was like, a, I want to say it was like maybe a 40 minute piece uh-huh. after the, after the walk um, for us to like go back through the sounds. Were they reading the words or were they trying to recreate the sounds with their so, mouth? Or how? <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I left it open-ended in terms of how people wanted to transcribe the sounds mm-hmm. so they could just write a description or, write out it phonetically uh-huh, and uh-huh. so depending so it was a mixture okay yeah, yeah. that sounds so interesting yeah it was fun <laughs> it was really fun and like you know it was a lot of I mean it makes you think about the place that you're in and and what's there so there was a lot of traffic sounds and, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. but um I also really loved the way that people described the sounds because yeah. everyone had a different some people really wrote them as like this thing just juxtaposed with this thing you know like uh-huh. one thing after another and some people just individual sounds and so with with stuff like that that seemed like it's it's funny the different levels of of like artistic thinking within um you know like composition Mm -hmm. um i would say i'm about as traditional as you get i'm Mm -hmm. i just make like this sound sounds cool i'm gonna make (laughs) this sound and record it um but where does an idea like that come from like do this because like when i so if i get a good idea for like a stupid instagram video mm-hmm. or you know wh- whatever my creative muse is they yeah. it usually just slaps me in the face and i don't mm-hmm. do it, it just pops into my head yeah so how much like something like that that's i don't know in a million years if i would ever think of that is that sure. something that kind of slowly builds or yeah or do you have kind of a process of how you approach like if like say Hey, you've got one month. Mm-hmm. We want you to do an installation mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. X Gallery. Yeah. How does that process work? Right. So for me, um, when the gallery contacted me about that show, it was a show about walking. And since I have done, I had, I had in the past done work where um, the physical sat, like the soundscapes of a place, were connected to performances. Um, so I did. Um, for my thesis, I did six different performances around the city of Baltimore where I chose the specific locations based on their soundscapes okay. and then had participatory um, performances in those places where the, the sounds of the place were a part of it. And okay. then the people, mm-hmm. people participating were helping to create some of the other sounds. Um, so I've, I've, I've worked in that vein before and I knew that the, the show is about walking and being present in a place. And so, yeah, I think... Um, I really enjoy, uh, walking around. Uh Uh, (laughs) I have a dog. We walk every day. Uh And, um, yeah, the, the situationist, this, um, this artist collective from, I don't know, like, I want to say from like the sixties, I'm going to botch the dates Uh because I'm so bad at, uh, (laughs) history. Um, but yeah, the situationist international, which were based in, uh, France, uh, primarily um had this concept called the derive which i mentioned briefly earlier Mm -hmm. which is this meandering walk without without a without a conventional purpose Uh the purpose being to feel the like psychogeography of the place feel like and and that's something that i became hyper aware of when i lived in baltimore like you could walk around and feel the energy shift as you turned a corner Mm -hmm. and i was a thing that I think in I had felt in other cities, but not as not in as intensely mm-hmm. as in that city. Things change really quickly, block to block. There, yeah, there's a lot going on in that city. Yeah, <laughs> and so that I became hyper aware of that, and so I was really interested in how the the vibes of a particular place like affect 
okay. your your movement as you're walking through or what you're paying attention uh-huh. to. Mm-hmm. That's really I I'm, I want to try that now. I want to like go find a cool neighborhood and walk around. Yeah. Um, this kind of reminds me. I are you familiar with Todd Barton? He's like a synth legend. Um, he's like a Buchla guy. He's, okay. He's, yeah. He's, not he's, not by name, but I, a, as I said, I don't know any. Right. Right. Things. Right. Right. <laughs> He's, he lives down in uh, in uh, Southern Oregon, mm-hmm. and I had him on the show, and and he he's you know he had done um, he'd like done some music for meditation, and uh-huh. so we were, we started talking about um, you know I asked him about his practice uh-huh. and if he had like a sitting practice, and and he actually has a walking practice, okay, and he, and he does like a listening meditation yeah. where he walks in and he tries to just intensely listen to like all the sounds yeah. from coming from around yeah. in the forest and. Yeah. and I, it just it sounded like it was it was it was like a double fold not only was it a way of of kind of doing you know meditation like mm-hmm. in the like focusing your mind on one thing but also it seems like he draws a lot of inspiration off of it so yeah i i definitely i think partway through grad school got really into the concept of deep listening and um got really obsessed with like micro sounds mm-hmm. and like really really quiet things and so the al- the last album that I made, not this most recent one, but the one before, the self-titled album, um, I was sampling a lot of um, what what I think would be really like quiet sounds, but then mm-hmm. making them really full by combining them. Okay. And, um, and I I really like that that holds a really special place in my heart, just like the sort of overlooked sounds. Okay. So yeah. you take something like this Zoom, I think you've got one just like a, yeah. a little Zoom hand. And mm-hmm. so do you do go out and do like field recordings? Uh-huh, yeah. And All then, of my samples are things I recorded myself. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now I want to talk about your writing process okay. based off of that. With So mm-hmm. it's, I mean, there's probably not one answer to this question, but sure. in general, do you go around and record samples, then kind of comb through them, find the ones you want, and then build something to then add melodic stuff on top of? Or is it... Mm. Is there, or do you have like a, a order of operations? Yeah, it definitely varies. Um, I don't think I've ever gone out and been like, I am going to take a recording of this for this particular place in the album or for this particular composition that I've already created. That's that, mm-hmm. that seems like that's not intuitive to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do. I carry my Zoom with me a lot. And we'll just record myself, record walks um, in different cities. And so I have a lot of engine sounds in my repertoire currently and um, and streetscape sounds from different cities. And I know where they're all from because uh-huh. I right. took them. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot from Chicago uh, and from Baltimore and from Berlin and um, New York. And um, yeah, and then... Um, the most recent album, I have a bunch of um, SDR stuff in there, and that um, I took recordings of myself scanning through like all of the radio frequencies, and then um, and then processing them, and then I did guitar stuff over that. So okay. it was like it was a multiple recording like session of improv of different improvisations okay. like on top of each other. Okay, yeah. Cause cool. I only have so many hands. I can right, only right. do so many things <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean the, right, the, the self-titled album is, is pretty, I, I'd say it's, it, it's an ambient album ish, mm, yeah. but I mean, feel like it, it's not, but I mean, the, the new one is definitely more still. I mean, and that's mm-hmm. in the title. Yeah. Um, when you're making an album, is it a snapshot of a mood or is it, is it a, 
are you going for? Like trying to reach something. Like for me, kind of when I make stuff, it's it's almost just a snapshot of what my brain chemicals are doing at the time. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that self-titled album was like a recap of maybe the last year's worth of work mm-hmm. um, that I was like, what what is important? What do I want to put in here? And I recorded that all in about a week uh, (laughs) at a residency in North Carolina. I did, um, I did like remaster it, um, a couple months later, but like I got the rough cut, like all in in about a week. And then, um, and yeah, so that was, it was like some, some songs that I had written like probably even more than a year before. And then some songs that I wrote that week, like, okay. <laughs> at the at, within the uh-huh. week that I recorded it, uh-huh. um, so and then so I didn't start even like touring those some of those songs until after the album had already been recorded, um, which is maybe somewhat backwards. I don't know how everybody does it, but I don't think there's a right answer. Yeah, That's, I like yeah. to ask those questions because yeah. I mean, I feel like some like if I. Well, I guess some people I think are like, I, I want to say this in this album. So they, they, right. they then pursue saying that I've never been able to say the thing that I think I want to say. So I just have to, mm-hmm. like, if I sat down right now and was going to record a song, mm-hmm. I would just basically just like start making noises with whatever catches my, my third eye, you yeah. know, like whatever module or whatever. And then I would follow that. Right. So the album before that self-titled album um, was uh, basically a 20-minute live recording um, called Icy Colors. It was just like an, an improvisation. And that was just, a, it was just a live improvisation that I then just put out as an album. And mm-hmm. so the um, self-titled album was my, well, it was my third album, but I was like, that's okay. That can be a self-titled album. Uh-huh. And then that was kind of the mood of the whole album was like, that's okay. I can do this even if I haven't heard anyone else do this, uh-huh. which is because it combines, it goes between ambient soundscapes and sort of more traditional guitar songs yeah. with vocals. And so I was like, I don't think I've ever listened to an album like this, but I w- want it to exist. Yeah. And so that was kind of the theme of it. Was that's like, what I really loved about <laughs> it. Um, and it's so funny that you say like, I don't think I've heard that and I want it to exist. That's kind of how uh-huh. I approach things too. I'm yeah. like, I'll, I'll, I find myself, this is when I know I need to make an album is mm-hmm. when I'm constantly asking people, suggest some music to me yeah. and I'm going through like artists that I like. And if you like this, you might like this. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm constantly searching and I don't know what I'm looking for, but I never find it. The thing. What I, the uh-huh. thing. And that's when I'm like, I need to make that thing. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so this, the most recent album sitting still that I put out, this spring was I would say it's my first ambient only album that's composed because the one before was just a live improvisation okay straight through yeah it's it sounds like it's kind of like one big piece that you Mm -hmm. broke into tracks Mm -hmm. um now so for playing live with with the self-titled end of this one Mm -hmm. you said so how different are the tracks when you perform them live because for me I, if I create a modular album, you're not going to hear that song live probably. Um, yeah. So, um, for the, for my self-titled album, the guitar songs obviously had, had really ri- right. written parts that I could replicate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, some samples that I could bring in and, 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 uh, not in the same order, but process in similar ways. Um, the ambient album that I just put out is, I'm sourcing some of the same materials in my live sets, but I'm in no way uh, 
even attempting to, to right. recreate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially this tour that I'm, that I'm currently on and that, uh, I guess I did a different thing this spring, but I'm, I'm doing a, a, a live improvisation every time with, um, audience input. So I'm not even trying to, yeah, to I'll, recreate. I want to talk yeah. about that more. Yeah. You mentioned that before we started recording. Yeah. So can you outline that experience? Abs- Cause it sounds absolutely. so cool. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I've been doing a, um, I've been doing a setup this, um, for this, the tour this fall, um, just this West coast tour between LA and Seattle, um, where, um, I interact with the audience before I start and I just ask them to think of a feeling that they would like to have at some point in the evening and write it down. I give them a, a choice of a colored piece of paper. And then, um, when I am performing, I draw from the jar of feelings as you're going uh-huh. oh. one at a time and then um based on the color of the paper and what they wrote down i choose either the field recording that i'm going to employ or how i'm going to process what's happening currently and i just like let it let it guide me and so it's like a literal reading of the temperature of the room that is like, so cool yeah so such a good idea to, to see how everyone's feeling what are they what do they want and and, and, do and you, that helps do you lot. show the the word as you draw them no. okay so people don't know if there's they don't know if picked. theirs is picked and i don't get to all of them usually right yeah right. so it's like um uh, and I think that people like that anonymity too that it's like totally they can yeah. put something in and know that it's not gonna necessarily come back to them but 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 some people's will be will be read and held. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder this, this is maybe shining a light on maybe the, the, the grimy part of humanity, but uh-huh. I wonder how much that contributes to audience captivation because now they have a stake in it in they a way. An investment. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Well, so before, so that, that's just this current tour because I, I had been, the sort of last year of touring, um, I was doing a different audience input where I, um, was asking audience members to transcribe a sound and I gave them a particular, um, like, I don't know, I had like a hundred sounds that I'd written down. Mm -hmm. And so they got just one to transcribe. And then I was using those to source what I was reading. How would, how would, how did that work? You'd write down so I would, um, they would draw a little piece of paper that uh-huh. said something like the sound of boring coffee. Uh-huh. And then I would ask them to transcribe that sound in whatever way they saw fit. So could be phonetically, could uh-huh. be description, okay. um, could okay. be whatever. Uh-huh. And so then depending on what they wrote, I would, I would either read it out or, um, like if it was phonetic, I'd read it out or I might interpret it in some way in my set. And then, and that was just like, these are my sounds and and then the audience input is their interpretation of it, which similarly gave people a sense Mm -hmm. of being invested. I heard you read my thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Which is great. Um, And I, and that was only a part of my set, but this, for the touring the ambient only album, touring this type of set, I decided I wanted to do something different. And um, I think I, after about a year of touring with, the concept of sounds and the, the, the words that describe and Mm -hmm. and that I just sort of was like, I want to change. I want to do something different. And this, I've basically been using it to, to compose the entire set. So I don't have any kind of a rough outline of the shape of it. That's so at all. Yeah. Is that how, I mean, (laughs) is it nerve wracking? I know. I love it. Okay. And that's, (laughs) and I think it's, it comes full circle because I, when I started, doing live electronic music, I was doing, like I said, I would open up an empty set in Ableton uh-huh. and do all live like vocal stuff without 
really a plan. And <laughs> <laughs> sounds terrifying. Right. And now I look back and I'm like, I was crazy. <laughs> but like, I had, had no fear. You know? uh, yeah. I mean, I, I did, but I, it was a different kind of fear. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, the, yeah. Um, well, and it's, also just to, to kind of stay on the subject of audience captivation, mm-hmm. I think ambient music live is challenging. Totally. Um, yeah. As much as I love ambient music, mm-hmm. it's definitely, I don't want to move to the beat. Yeah. Well, there it's yeah. No beat to move exactly. To. And, mm-hmm. and you have, you know, you have to sit still and, and it's, it's an act. I feel like it's almost more of an active experience mm-hmm. to try to remain engaged with it. Yeah. Um, and you know, like some shows, if there's drinking and stuff, like if there's people conversing, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't know, it can be very, very difficult. Um, yeah. it, it can be challenging for the artist and the listener. So I feel like that setup is a good way to just kind of like, I feel like there's more of an investment. People mm-hmm. are more like maybe signing up for it yeah. and, and everybody's kind of, bought the, t- the same t- the a ticket to the same ride or something yeah i try really hard to get people to be comfortable because i find that if i'm standing and and there's really sort of slow moving uh sounds happening i just i inherently want to be more comfortable so i can enjoy it and mm-hmm. so I, I usually ask people to sit down um i've played like sound baths in the past and that's obviously like the best type of situation where there's like comfy pillows and yeah, blankets and uh-huh. stuff but <laughs> even on a hard floor i'll encourage people to sit yeah. and just like get get still and comfortable and um and usually my the feedback i get is that you know they were in some ways transported and got some something therapeutic out of it which is like great for me cuz yeah, i totally. obviously do too uh-huh. yeah 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 <laughs> um we're we are cruising through time but there's Gosh a f- few more things i, I want to get to before yeah. we stop and mm-hmm. one is just touring in general yeah. you tour a lot i uh, it seems like I, it sort <laughs> of yeah i i more than i've never been on tour oh, like, okay. and i've just like it's a dream but yeah. i just don't know if i could ever do it so how why, do you do, do it why do you say that i don't why know do how do you how do you book it where do you oh, like how sure. do you uh, like well self taught again <laughs> yeah. i um so i okay, there's a lot of different ways that I've approached it. I've done a lot of different kinds of tours, but um, I find that the first time I tour to a particular place or in a particular region is the hardest one. And then the next one is a little bit easier Mm because you know a couple more people. And I've been booking all of my own stuff and um, been increasingly particular about the types of shows I want to play just in terms of, um, not in terms of the traditional things that you might think like, uh, guaranteed money or anything like that, but more just like, um, what the vibe is going to be. Cause mm-hmm. I, I really pretty much try to not play bar shows or anything yeah. like that because I, pff, no one's going to want to listen to me in a bar. It's like not it requires a little bit more attention mm-hmm. and intention. So I try to play house shows and, um, more intimate spaces so that hopefully people will actually, um, show up for it and i don't mean physically i mean like emotionally totally absolutely yeah. i'd rather play to five invested people than 50 people <laughs> right. having a conversation so. right right um so yeah so i was when i was based on the east coast which is the most recent um home base for me um before portland uh i did a fair amount of touring on the east coast and in the midwest and then i moved to portland and i was like crap i gotta start all over um but no i i did um i came out for a couple of pacific northwest tours um before i moved back out here and i did a west coast tour including the pacific northwest last year 
Was that just last year? It seems so long ago. The one that where we played yeah, that was 2018. Yeah, yeah so, so just, it was a year and just, a half ago. Yeah, yeah. So last summer. Um, and so yeah, I felt like I did feel like I. I do feel like I'm still sort of starting over in terms of cultivating a base on the West Coast. It's the closest cl- coast. It's the closest place uh-huh. um, that I can just get in the car and go. I don't have right. to drive. I mean, fly. Mm-hmm. Um, but this spring I did also go to the East Coast and did a short little leg. Um, and I took the train for the first time. Oh, like really? I flew and then I didn't rent a car. I, I took the train and it was cheaper because i didn't have to pay for tolls yeah (laughs) yeah i i try to i mean i try to minimize cost as much as possible but it is expensive and it's it does feel like a luxury that i'm able to do it yeah um so i don't i don't play big uh clubs that pay me lots of money so so it's it's an investment but i um i think what happened this past year is i moved to portland and i still feel like i'm relatively new in town there and not Mm. super well known yet um so I was really anxious to just keep playing shows because so much of my performance is interacting with audience and um, and I can you know I can conceive of it in my studio but until I'm actually doing it it's it doesn't really exist right, uh, right. especially with conceptual interactive totally. stuff so um, so I just was really like I needed the outlet of of performing and I wasn't getting as many shows in town as I wanted to so I just was like well I'll just tour until I feel more established and so I've you know done a few tours like since I moved to Portland okay um, and, and how have you found that scene um I found that there's a ton of people doing cool stuff mm-hmm. um the specifically this is my experience specifically the very experimental sound art world uh, I like I feel weird about saying this on in a public place. <laughs> it feels like the same five people are doing everything and mm-hmm. and I I think there is room yeah for more mm-hmm. um but I haven't f- quite found my in um yet uh so I'll say, yet with an asterisk. Right, um, right. <laughs> uh but yeah I I feel like there's so many people doing cool stuff there that it it's a little you have to work a little harder to be seen. Um yeah. but I think I am up for the challenge. I think in Baltimore it was such a small place that I felt like in the three years I was there, I was finally feeling established and like people knew me for what I did. And then I was like, well, just got comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start over, <laughs> make it really difficult uh-huh. for myself. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine like, even though it's a smaller city than Seattle, I think Portland is a harder one to crack into. Yeah. And I think it's just because there's just more of, there's just more cool stuff going on there. Right. I think. Yeah. Um, you're not unique in doing cool stuff. Yeah. Everybody's doing. Cool yeah. Stuff. Yeah. That's definitely been my experience. Well, and yeah. the, the modular scene here in Seattle is mm-hmm. like, is just totally exploded. And it's just, we're, yeah. it's just like this huge welcome open family. And it's just, yeah. it's just like, you know, it's, it's people are noticing outside of Seattle they're, uh-huh. they're seeing something yeah. happen here. And something that I, I've, I kind of wonder about is like, how could it, I mean, I don't really know the Portland scene very well. I know I know quite a few people down there who have yeah. come up, and I visited them, and great uh-huh. people. Yeah. Um, but it does seem like a different vibe. But Portland has, has been the modular epicenter for years and years and years, so it's got this this really solid foundation. Yeah. So it is. It's interesting to see. Well, the reason I think Seattle's so open and welcome is because everybody just kind of found each other at once. They were mm-hmm. all like spread apart, and like I've right. I've met so many people who were like I thought I was the only person that did modular stuff in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But speaking of, you've done stuff in the S1 mm-hmm. library, right? Yeah. With, do you, so do you know Alyssa? Yeah. So I um, I got hooked up with the folks at S1 pretty shortly after moving to town, sort of unintentionally. Uh-huh. I mean, I um, it kind of what happened was before I got to Portland, uh, I was researching and every time I would find a show like a, a performance event that was happening that I was like, I want to go to that. Mm-hmm. I wish I had been there for that. It was all happening at this one space. Mm-hmm. I have to find this yeah. space. Like, and so I just went in and I, um, I started going, I think I went to like the introductory course and started, um, just like using the synth library. You, you basically take one course and then you get a month's like f- access, mm-hmm. um, to try out being a member. They have a ton of synths, And I was, pretty new to modular i'd like messed around with some stuff on um at the school mm-hmm. but i had never had my own system so i was it never really like had an extended period of time with with a, a modular setup and so i started messing around in there and everyone was super friendly and they just in pretty shortly after i got there were like would you be interested in facilitating would you want to like help you know help basically help volunteer to like run to help other people do mm-hmm. stuff. Like I knew enough to be able to right. do that. And then um, there was like a big shift happening when I got there. So the two original directors of S1 were moving to LA and New York. Mm-hmm. And so there was like a restructure in the organization. And so I was like, I want to help. I want this space to continue to exist. I believe in it. I'm. It's a great resource. Um, so I like joined the operations team there and, um, uh, really wanted to help out with the educational programming because I mm-hmm. went to grad school so that I could teach and yeah. wanted to teach more experimental sound stuff, um, which hopefully I will continue to do yeah. moving forward. Um, but yeah, everyone there has been super warm and welcoming. And That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, well, I, it was funny cause we, we played that show and then, you know, I followed you on Instagram. So I just kind of watched your travels and different <laughs> stuff that you're doing. And then yeah. I saw you were there and I was like, Oh, that's, that's the perfect place. <laughs> that is so cool. And then I was really excited to see you messing around with modular. Yeah. So, just, I guess we're going to do, we're going to do a, uh, well, our own version of a patch challenge here in a second, right, but, right. um, I, what is your, like, so from your process and, and, and you use a lot of pedals and mm-hmm. everything, how, what, what is your, how do you feel about modular? Like, I feel like, um, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm reluctant yeah. to start <laughs> investing in my own system because mm-hmm. I already have a pedal problem. Yeah. I already have a problem where I, came I spend to modular. too much money mm-hmm. on gear. Yep. And so I'm terrified of starting a new endeavor that costs money because I know myself too well. I know that I will want to fill that rack and I can't really afford to. So it's like, that's, I mean, that's why it's so great that S1 exists. Mm -hmm. The synth library is there um, for people like me. I mean, also for people that have their own systems, but to be able to try things out because I, um, you know, I think I would want to be really um, specific about it if I was going to build my own rack. And, um, and actually, this is funny because I think I have a, a uh, I have a different way of thinking about it than I think most people. But I was talking to someone there about they were like, "Well, what would you want to put in your system?" And I was like, "Well, you know, if I was going to build a, a modular rack for myself, it would, I would want to make it really, really portable. I would want to make it a smaller footprint than what I have here, which mm-hmm. is." already a pretty small yeah. footprint like it fits in a small suitcase or medium suitcase mm-hmm. um but i was like well all these pedals take up x amount of space and you know you can get these like 
little um the little modules that are like just a few um what is it you H- yeah hp is the width yeah, yeah um just like that, that take up a fraction of the space of a pedal and so i was and you know instead of a big mixer i could have like a little tiny mm-hmm. mixer everything would just be a little miniaturized um but the goal would be so that i could travel more easily like yeah. abroad and not you know fly with stuff without having to you know fill an entire suitcase mm-hmm. um for my setup so my goal was like how can i make it smaller and i know that's not what most pe- how most people well, are pra- approach it's, modular it's like i want all of the well things. it's funny so that's something that I've, I've talked about with a lot of people is when you first get into it, you can't afford to go big. Yeah. So you have small setup. Yeah. And then it's, it's kind of like when you first get into pedals, it's this, it's kind of this fever, this gear fever. I want, I want, Oh, I want this and I want that. Mm-hmm. And then I had double what yeah. I have sitting here, yeah. um, or like a few months ago and it was, it was overwhelming. And I was uh-huh. like, I want to try to go smaller. Yeah. So like if I'm going to, if I was going to go on tour, I would, find a way to make this work yeah 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 um Mm -hmm. but it's still expensive (laughs) totally totally but yeah no modular makes a lot of sense to me and i think what i've been doing with um field recordings like instead of having pedals that hold samples like i could have one tiny sample Mm -hmm. sampler modular um module that could hold the same amount of samples Mm -hmm and take up even a little bit less space. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I did, a, I did a bunch of research to find the, the pedals that I ended up getting to hold samples. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they're pretty small. Yeah. Like, but, you know, they could be smaller. Yeah, what, so let's, just for the gearheads out there, oh, what, sure. are, what are we running through? I see you got two jam mans. Yeah, so those are, those are basically my samplers. Uh-huh. Um, so they hold, um, they have memory cards in them so you can hold up to like 32 gigs. And the oh, reason cool. I, I chose them specifically the, that those loopers was because they held samples and the sample length was up to like 10 minutes. Oh, wow. So okay. it's not like just your one shot, like mm-hmm. short. Like if I was doing more percussive stuff, like there's, um, I messed around with a bunch of things in the synth library that I was like, maybe this could be cool. The little like micro granny sampler. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, Grandpa hold, Bastel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Bastel instruments. Yeah. And those are cool, but they're like, they only hold very short samples and they're very grainy was kind of the, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so great for distorting things, but not so great for like things that have a ton of depth mm-hmm. in them. Um, yeah, so those hold my samples, and then I have an, a separate looper that I um, will run things through to ha- basically have a the um, ditto. The ditto, okay. yeah. So that's so that way I, you know, I can have something running while I'm like switching between what I'm gonna bring in next. Yeah, and then I have a. Are we gonna go through all of them? Do you want to know more? There's a reverb and a delay, <laughs> and then a reverb delay combo, a chorus, and a couple of. Um, Earthquaker device. Yeah, it's in them. Everybody's. I think everybody's familiar with Earthquaker. I've talked about them quite a bit. They've been on the show actually. Um, oh yeah, I love them. They're great. Yeah. And I, and I went to see them in Ohio, um, and it was someone's birthday when I was there, and they had cake, and yeah. they offered to let me eat cake with them. And <laughs> oh, I was like, cool. these are the nicest people ever. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, is there anything that uh, that you feel like we haven't covered sufficiently that oh. you want to say before we get into some music? Oh, I don't know. Um, anything that we haven't talked about? I know I don't have any particular agenda in terms of what we need to talk about. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, how yeah. about this? Direct people to where they oh. can find anything that you want them to find. I'm, so I'm not being, I'm sorry. I'm, I oh, should have yeah. told you. I'm getting on my phone right now because I'm going to generate your adjective and noun on this website. Okay. So I'm not. Yeah, gotcha, <laughs> I gotcha. I should have told I was you like, that before I brought looking, up my phone. <laughs> what are we looking for? Um, yeah. So my um, my website is jmoneyfur.com. Just spelled out J-M-O-N-E-Y-F-U-R.com. And that connects to my SoundCloud and my Bandcamp and my Instagram and everything else. And um, yeah, you can see kind of all the weird different art that I make on there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So this is so, this is so cheesy. I'm going to have to do some editing, but I, <laughs> you're, you're going to love the name of this website. I, so I found, I found the um, a random adjective and noun generator uh-huh. and the website is called creativity for you. <laughs> I just think that it's funny that there's a cre- that a creative website that that's the least creative name mm-hmm. that you could think of. It's well, and it's uh, <laughs> and it's not creative at all. No. It is uh, it is just uh, it's random. random. Yeah, it's random. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of like that's the thing that people always try to create um, meaning in things that they don't know and so if something is random people will still try to like find a reason yeah and that's Mm -hmm. i've done that a lot in my like installations where it will trigger something randomly but people will try to find meaning in it yeah yeah i love that Uh uh-huh yeah that's the human condition distinctive vegetable is the first one that came up that's not very fun we'll we'll just go through until we find something okay sure yeah (laughs) i mean i will take anything but uh difficult soap (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so it's random um noun and adjective uh-huh. okay driving plasma that's kind of cool that's a great one yeah you like that one sure okay yeah. so what i usually do yeah. is is give the um the guests 15 minutes because they have okay. to patch something up yeah do you want 15 minutes to find something or do you want to just go I want to go. Um, <laughs> I might need to take a very quick break. Yeah, I drink a bunch of totally. water. Totally, but yeah, I. <laughs> but I'll be. I'll be. I can be ready pretty quickly. Okay. Cool. Yeah.
All right. Well, I want to thank Juliana for coming on to the show. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I want to ask you all to do your own version of Driving Plasma and uh, use the, the hashtag podmod patch challenge on instagram let's 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 really get into this and uh yeah i really appreciate y'all hanging out for this episode and until next week